0: If you don't know me, my name is Pastor Matt, and I'm a, a, an elder here, a pastor of a discipleship and youth, and I'm excited to be here with you this morning. So it is the new year, and some of you are probably really excited about the new year. I'm not going to say names, but Mike Santoro, I'm guessing, is probably like already got all of his resolutions picked. Where are you, Mike? Somewhere back here. I saw him earlier. There you are, buddy. I know you do. I got resolutions too, man. I know. We should talk about it. <laughs> you know, things that you want to do, you know, new disciplines, new, you know, new ventures, things that you're excited about. Some of you are like, I'm, I'm, I'm done with 2022. I'm ready to move on to something fresh and new and exciting, right? Is, is, that, is any of that you? Like you're just, you're ready for the, for the new year and you're excited? Okay, me and Mike Santoro, um, <laughs> but, but some of you may not be. For some of you, you know, getting through the holidays was, you know, a big deal, was, was, had its challenges, and you're kind of tired now, but honestly, as you look forward to, to the next year, yeah, there's some things to be hopeful about, but there's some things that are just you're not looking forward to either. For some of you, the idea of a new year with all of its unknowns are, it's, it can be just debilitating. For some of you, it causes a lot of worry. A lot of fear. For those of you who maybe like me, like to be in control of my environment, like to be in control of my circumstances, like to be in control of the volume of things happening around me, it's really hard when there's just so much empty space in front of you, so much unknown. It can cause anxiety. I'm thankful to Pastor Tim and the elders for giving me the freedom uh, this morning to kind of put off our uh, continuing our series in the book of Hebrews for one more week so we can do a standalone message today because I would like to talk to us today about anxiety. It's something that I think affects us all at different times in our lives and to different degrees. For some of you, you know, you're just kind of an easy breezy person, like not easily shaken, you know, but even you probably still feel anxious from time to time. You, know, you, you, feel, you feel nervous when, when things, you know, certain like big deadlines are coming up, right? But for others of you, it's something much deeper. It's like a chronic thing that is constantly in your life, a constant worry. Con- you're just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like there's a part of you that says, hey, things are going okay right now, but you're like, I'm going to get a phone call. I know growing up in my house, like whenever the phone call would ring Back when we had phones on the walls with the cord, um, whenever the phone would ring after nine o'clock, my parents would be like, oh, no. Right? <laughs> no, no good phone calls happen after nine o'clock. Now it probably happens all the time with texting and everything else. But, but yeah, there's this, this, for some of you, there's, there's just this deep-seated anxiety where you never feel settled. For, for some of you, it is affecting your health, where it, it's causing you to not be able to sleep. It's causing you to not be able to eat, or you're, you're losing weight. Or maybe you're actually on, on medication for it, something where, like, in order for me to function, I, I have to, like, I have to medicate. Anxiety is a strange thing. It just, uh, there are so many illnesses that we can have that you're like, nope, that's actually not that. You, you just have anxiety. <laughs> I've experienced this in my own life. I've actually gone to an, uh, to the hospital before, to an urgent care, thinking I was having a heart attack because I just felt this squeezing in my chest. Like, took an EKG. Nope, you're fine. Just, just having a panic attack. Scripture says, Proverbs twelve twenty five says, "Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down." And maybe you feel weighed down. Some of you it says, "But a good word makes him glad." I hope by this morning, with God's help, to speak a good word to you, to those of you who are struggling with anxiety. Whether you're open about it, whether you're, whether you're silently wrestling with this, I hope to offer you the hope of the promise of the kingdom of God. Some of you have heard me talk about this before. Um, I, I did a, a, a seminar on this in 2018. Uh, I've spoke to our youth group about this. I even spoke at a Christian school recently and kids, and it resonated even with school-aged children because this is a universal thing that people deal with. In fact, Gen Z, uh, the current generation of teenagers and adolescents, are twice as likely to experience anxiety and depression than my generation, the millennials. It's on the rise, and it's a major issue. So I thought before I... We're going to look at the scriptures, and if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and look at Luke chapter 12. That's where we'll be. and if you have, we have some blue Bibles on the back, and if you'd like to just you know, turn there, it's on page 871. Before I get there, though, I thought I'd kind of like just, just lay, lay the table a little bit and just, know, just let you know that I, I have some personal experience with anxiety. Uh, this is something that has afflicted me for, for, for years in my life. The, the year where it kind of felt like it all kind of turned, uh, it was 2010. And there were three big changes that happened in my life. Uh, things that kind of impacted me. One was uh, in the beginning of that year, uh, my mother-in-law, you as some of you know, um, Kim, uh, her husband, so my my wife's stepfather, uh, had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And it seemed like he was getting better and so forth, and then eventually it took his life, just in his mid-40s, on April 16th, 2010. On Friday, May 14th, less than a month later, my wife... Uh, Finally, uh, she took a a couple pregnancy tests and it finally turned up positive after us trying and kind of worrying after nine months of trying. My wife was pregnant with our first child, Addison. And then the very next day I graduated seminary. All this happened in less than a month and it like overloaded the circuits of my brain because like all of life kind of like said, all right, time to grow up, Matt. (laughs) You've arrived at adulthood and it and all kind of, I, I, I entered this place where I realized, like, okay, training is over. I actually have to be a, a pastor now. I actually have to go and provide for my family. And that family is growing because I'm going to have a, a child who I am responsible for, to provide for, to care for. I, that's me now. At the same time, we just experienced an untimely death, and I realized just how fragile life is. And I, I don't think I understood how much it affected me initially. I remember um, sometime, probably in late, later, maybe in the summertime of that year, I was out playing disc golf with my friends, and I was just like, I'm shaking. I probably just had too much coffee today. But no, like, I was riddled with anxiety, and I had no idea what it was. I started having crazy stomach pains, okay, where, like, I was feeling nauseous all the time, to the fact where I was actually starting to, I was just, just about ready to develop an, an ulcer. I mean, I had the endoscopy and everything. I was like, what is going on? I was actually fearful that I was getting cancer, like stomach cancer, because, but it was just worry was literally eating me up from the inside out. And it it took me forever to find out what it was. The doctors prescribed Xanax to me, so I was taking Xanax, which is a a, a pretty well-known medication that kind of like takes the edge off. It's kind of a sedative. And I was taking that a lot for a long time until it started mentally affecting me. It was quite a struggle. And and by God's grace, He he taught me a lot of things about myself and about Him that I wouldn't have known otherwise. So, as as I come today to read from this text, I want you to know that this text I'm reading has meant a lot to me. Lord willing, it'll mean something to you. Luke chapter 12 says this. And He said to His disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, about what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is the Word of God. So Jesus begins and he simply tells his, his disciples, Don't be anxious. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Which is, is good advice, right? Don't worry. But if you're not, it can sound almost hollow if, you, if, you're, if you're just like, Okay, but I am worried. Right? it's like I, I this sometimes when you're, like, you're angry like your blood is up and someone's like don't be angry you're like oh thank you now I feel better like, it's not that easy right? for just to say don't, don't worry every now and then I'll come home and, and I'll go in the garage and my son has taken like all of my boards and my nails and my tools and he's constructing a thing and I'm like and he's like dad don't worry I'm like son I'm worried you can't just say that yeah, Jesus says, don't be anxious. Don't worry. He says, don't be anxious about your basic needs. All right, and, and he says, don't be, worry, don't be worrying about your life. And he's talking about, he says, you know, what you're going to eat. So exact, what that means, he says, like the basic things of life. Hey, what are you going to eat today? How are you going to pay your bills? And it goes on, or your body, what you're going to wear. You know, how, how am I going to clothe myself and my family? What? He's he's actually cautioning in this scenario specifically about the anxiety that we have about the daily things in life, our health, our finances, our home, big decisions that we have to make. That's the focus of here, the worries that come with everyday life, the bill that's unpaid that's just sitting there and you're wondering, how am I going to get that? Or when something really expensive breaks in your house, or when all of your appliances conspire together in the dead of night to break at the same time. And you're like, where do I even begin? When it starts raining and you didn't know that there's a part of your house that leaks and now you have water damage and you don't know how bad it's going to be. When the the car that you drive that you depend upon is on its last leg and you don't know what you're going to do about it. Jesus in those situations says, don't worry. Now I will say there is another kind of anxiety that we're actually not going to talk about today. There is an anxiety that comes from our sin, which is when we're afraid of getting caught, when we've basically sinned and we're saying, oh, you know, I, I cheated on this test. Man, I really hope I don't get caught. That, we would deal with that differently. That's a situation where God would say, you need to repent and, and seek forgiveness, but also understand that there is a consequence for sin, and sin, sin, as we commit it, breeds fear and anxiety. It doesn't just lead to death. It leads to the fear that comes with those things. That's actually kind of another message. That's an important discussion. I'd love to have that with you. But Today, we're focusing on Jesus is talking to his, his followers. He's talking to Christians who are just afraid that they're not going to make it in this world. And so he commands us, he says, do not fear, don't worry, don't dwell on things which would cause you to worry, and it's, it's not so easy, but Jesus gives us the command, and thankfully he doesn't just leave it at that, don't worry guys, all right, that's not what he does. Now he's going to go and he's going to give, he's going to disarm any good reason why we would have to worry, because immediately we're saying, but, but, but. Did, did you see this bill? Did you see, like, like we would go and to give all the reasons why we're justified. We're really good at justifying our worry, right? At, at, at seeing we have very good reasons to be anxious. And Jesus is saying, well, well let, me, let me disabuse you of those notions. So he has five reasons, I think, in this text why, he's, why we, we, we shouldn't fear. And the first is in verse 23. The reason one is that there are more important concerns than the basic needs of life. I love that he he puts it this way. He says, don't be anxious about that, for your life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. A lot of times we're so anxious because we're myopic. We're so focused on what's directly in front of us that we miss the bigger picture. Jesus says, hey, I know these things are important. They're not minor, but there are much bigger things to be concerned about we're often oftentimes it's 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 money it's possessions it's 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 mammon is the greek word the idea of kind of combining money and possessions together we realize that we need for example money to pretty much do anything right to to feed to clothe to, to pay our bills, to, to, do, to, do, to put gas in the car so we can go to work or drive our kids to school. And, and money can be like the source of our focus. And, and it's one of the things that can drive us away. It's our treasure. Jesus later on even, even says, hey, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. What you're focusing on, that's either going to give you hope or it's going to give you anxiety. And there, there's actually like, a, 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 there's two ways in which money, or finances, the, or the lack of it, or, there's, there's two ways in which this can really drive our hearts away from God. One is if we have too much riches, an overabundance, and one is when we have the, the fear or the, of the lack of it. There's a, a proverb that, said, that puts it uh, really nicely, Proverbs 38, verses 8 and 9. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. How many people pray that? How many of you ever prayed that prayer before? Listen to what he said, why he says it, though. He says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that's needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. He says, there's a lot of wisdom here. and he, Of course, it's the book of Proverbs. It's God's word. It's really wise. He says, Hey, God, just, just give me what I need. Because you know what, I know my own heart to a degree, and I know that if you give me too much, I'll get self-satisfied, and I'll tend to forget God. Have you ever done that? And actually, in the section right before this, Jesus tell, in, in Luke chapter 12, he tells the parable of the rich fool, and it's exactly that. It's a man who gets all this money and all this grain, all this mammon, and he's like, this is great. I'm going to build lots of barns for myself, and I'm going to store it all up. It's going to be awesome. Early retirement. He is excited. And then Jesus says, you fool. Your life will be required of you this very night. And he dies. His heart was so far from God because he had enough. And that it, his treasure, that's where his heart was. His heart was far from God. And, the, and the, the guy in the Proverbs is writing, and he says, hey, God, don't give me too much because then I'll forget you. My heart won't be with you. But there, there's the other side of it as well, which is really our focus today, and that's when we don't have enough, we worry about it. Oh, God, how am I going to provide for myself? We, some of you, when you go into crisis mode, you get the blinders on, which can be a helpful thing, right? You get the blinders on, and, and it's like everything gets fixated on solving the immediate problem. Right, everything else gets put on the shelf, or the back burner, even relationships. Anything, you know, If you're tight for money, oh, hobbies, we're not doing that. Oh, we're not taking that vacation anymore. We're not taking that trip. That can be very good right? to, to narrow things down. We've got to attack this. However, sometimes when we have a worry and we're thinking about the problem right in front of us and we're concerned about it, sometimes God gets put on the shelf too. Or we can distrust God. God, why would you let me undergo this? Jesus says your life is more than what's in your bank account or what's in your pantry or what's in your closet or what's in your garage or what's not in those things. God made you to know you and to love you and to, and to be in a covenant relationship with you. And he says, I want your heart. I want your attention. I want you to know me and find your security and your hope and your joy and your trust in me and not in these things. They're important they're not prime. They're not the most important thing. He says life is more than just that stuff. And, and, he's, and that's kind of a hint as to what's to come. And he builds on it with his second reason in verses 24 and then verses 27 through 28, where he says, where basically the second reason is that God cares for the lower parts of his creation. Don't you think he'll care for you even more? Jesus argues here as an argument called from the lesser to the greater. God is faithful to the less valuable parts of creation, so won't he be even more faithful to the more valuable parts of creation, namely you? And he gives us this example of the ravens. And I know many of you are ravens fans, but don't read too much into what I'm about ready to say. But let's be honest, a raven is not a delightful bird. It's not a It's not a lovely creature. It's not beautiful. It's commonly found. There's probably not a lot of bird watchers who are like, I can't wait to log a raven. Because they're everywhere. Go to the Walmart parking lot. When the goals aren't there. You know, it's not it's a, I, I looked this up. It actually is a songbird. I thought that's not a song. It's a songbird. But it sounds like if I was to try to sing right now with my voice as hoarse it is. It's a squaw it's a wretched, wretched songbird. It has an undiscerning palate, right? It will eat almost anything. It will eat maggots. It will eat other things. It it's often acts as a scavenger. And yet Jesus says that God cares for this dreadful, unimpressive creature. A raven doesn't sow. He doesn't reap. He doesn't farm. But it has food because God so organizes his creation that he provides food even for a raven. He doesn't overlook them, even though we would. He provides for them. And if God oversees, he, he so sovereignly decrees to provide for those birds, do you think that He'll forget you? Do you think He will fail to take care of your life? Likewise, the lilies of the field are clothed in splendor, and, and you don't see it really right now, kind of in the winter time, but you will see it in a few months here as spring hits. Won't be too long, we'll see the beauty of the wildflowers in the field. One of my favorite places to see this is actually not too far, it's Miller Park, that way. Uh, if you go past, the, uh, past, past our parking lot up, you'll see all these you know like sports fields, but if you park your car and follow the path through the woods, you'll go back around and there's this little like hideaway where... There's just this open field, and it's just kind of overgrown, but it's full of wildflowers of all these tremendous colors, and it's absolutely gorgeous. He says, if God... Jesus says the beautiful patterns and the color of poly- the fields are more stunning than kings, than royalty, and all of their designed splendor. He says, you know, hey, you know, all that stuff, that stuff dies. You know, the, the, All the flowers in the field, they die. If you pick it, you know, and you try to, you know... It's it's gone in a few days. He says, God cares enough to make even the fields adorned in beauty, as an analogy. Do you think that he'll fail to clothe you? Do you think he cares more about you than he does the grass, of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow? There's a Psalm 37, Psalm 37, verses 25 and 26. Hear this. This is so sweet. It's a man speaking from experience. He says, I have been young, Now I'm old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. I can tell you uh, there have been some some seasons where it has been tight financially where I've had to say, all right, Shell, we're going to have to really lean on leftovers We're going to have to really, and you're, we're looking, at the the gauge on the gas needle is near empty, and you're like, we can't make any unnecessary trips. Like, it's been lean, but we've never failed to pay a bill when we needed to. Help has always come at the last minute, because God is faithful. He knows. And so many of you, maybe all of you, can say the same. Reason number three is that anxiety accomplishes nothing. Right? And I'm going to put it as, 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 as simply as I can. Worrying is stupid. Worrying is unproductive and altogether useless. Worry adds nothing but sorrow. And, and, and it, this may seem simple, but it's actually like important that Jesus says this, right? It, it's, we, need, we need to hear that. He says, which of you, in verse 25... Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your span of life? Which, you're like, why would you want to do that? Well, because you need to tackle the problem. Oh, if I just had more time, I could deal with this. Well, worrying's not going to do anything for that. It's like a a response that we have, and it's actually... Jesus says, hey, let me just... This is some wisdom here. It's not going to help at all. You know, I'll give you another example, because maybe this one will land as well. Complaining also makes nothing better. You ever notice that? You ever been in a tough situation? You know, like, oh, you know, you, you get to your hotel, you know, on a trip and it's terrible and, and you know, the, and it's terrible conditions and like, and then, like, if, if, if someone complains, I'm going to lose it, right? After a long drive. Like, because you just know that, like, complaining, suffering can make you better, right? So if, you're, if you're in a situation where it's hard, like, suffering can make you stronger. Complaining can only make you weaker, right? Worrying can only make you more, uh, make you weaker as well. Anxiety doesn't help anything. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a story. Uh, I gave blood once. I donated blood. Once. <laughs> I was in high school and I was really excited about it. I'm like, I can do this now. I'm going to donate blood. And I, was, and I was really excited about it because it just seemed, I don't know, dangerous or cool. I, I don't know. But I was excited about it. And they did it, at the, they set it up at the school, and I was, I was trying to, like, you know, be brave about it. And I wasn't afraid, because I didn't know what I was getting into. I, I mean, I weighed, like, 135 pounds when I was in high school, all right? So I, was like, I, I didn't have a lot of blood to give, I'm just here to say. I didn't know that, though. And so I gave, and I, you know, did the thing, and I'm squeezing. I'm like, whew, I'm getting hot, but well, that's okay, you know? And, I, and, I, I did it. and then, like, I did, and then they gave you, they said, okay, no matter what you do, when you, you, know, when you, when you get up, okay, just make sure we're going to give you a little sugary drink sip on it, okay, don't lay your head down and, and don't stand up quickly. I'm like, got it. I did all of those things. I'm like, thanks, oop, laid down, and then I got up and I promptly fell over and I passed out, right, and, uh, and I gained a little bit of humility. Ever since then, though, I'm not squeamish of blood, like my, my wife turns green if like one of our kids gets an injury and turns I'm not I don't like I don't i bothered by seeing blood. I just don't like to lose it personally. <laughs> and one of the thing and, and ever since then, it's whenever you have to do blood work, right? Like I gave a bag of blood, right? And I felt like it almost killed me. But like those three little tubes, not looking forward to it. And so I, I remember—not I mean, gosh—it was years ago now. When I had blood work, and they, I think we were changing insurance or something, and they—they they actually came to your house and did blood work, right? And I was like, whew, for like a week, I was just like freaking out about it. I don't think I slept the night before. I like went into my like, oh, I'm nervous. I gotta, I gotta, you know. I was like trying to overcompensate. I was like pacing all day, and then I finally did it. And they stuck the needle in, and I'm like, oh man. And then she's like, done, and I'm like, you're done because it was three little tubes, right, or four. I don't remember what it was. I, didn't, I couldn't look at it, though, right? But I spent, I'm sure, a week worrying about it. And it lasted all at 10 seconds. And how often have you experienced that, where, like, the worrying is worse than the actual thing itself? Right, you, you die a thousand little deaths before you actually go to the dentist for 30 minutes. And after they give you that shot, it's gravy, just watch the smoke and teeth bit of particles fly, and you're, but you can't feel it. And Jesus says, hey, worrying is stupid. It's unproductive. It doesn't help you. It doesn't produce anything. Giving in to worry, allowing yourself to dwell on fears, letting your imagination run wild, which that's what it is. Anxiety is a false prophet. It tells you what's going on. Oh, I know this is what's going to happen. And it's catastrophic thinking. We always assume it's the worst possible thing. And it almost never is. And so anxiety accomplishes nothing, so don't allow yourself to give in to it. Reason for number four, verses 29 and 30, is that your worries are common to all, and God knows what you need. And I, I, If you guys have noticed, being fearful kind of makes you feel isolated. Depression actually works very similarly. You feel all all alone. Nobody feels quite like I do. Nobody is experiencing what I'm experiencing. You feel separated from your family, from your friends, even from the body of Christ, even from God himself sometimes. There's a darkness that overtakes you that's similar both in anxiety and in depression. And yet God is reminding us in Christ that that's not the case. That all the nations of the world, Christians and non-Christians alike, seek after these things. Seek after food and shelter. And they, everyone from every culture and all time has had the same concerns that you have. The need, how am I going to survive? How am I going to make it? And honestly, in other parts of the world at different times, it was much more dire than what we experience. But everyone has the same basic needs that you do. God is aware of this. Like that, just pause, and that seems kind of one of those obvious truths, but just let that sink in. God is not oblivious. He sees you, He knows your need, He has not forgotten you. God cares for the needs of all His creation. By the way, not just the ravens, not just the lilies of the field, God cares for His enemies. Those whom he has not set his electing love upon, those who will never believe in him, those who will spend eternity separated from him in condemnation. Matthew 5, 4, Jesus tells us that he makes the sun to rise, the same sun on the evil and on the good. And he sends his rain on the just and the unjust. And he provides food and shelter and financial security even to his enemies. And if God feeds and clothes even pagans destined for destruction, will he leave you cold, hungry, naked, jobless, hopeless, homeless? By no means. God sees you, he cares for you. Do you believe that? Consider Romans 8:32. If you are taking notes, if you've not taken notes, at least write this verse down. In fact, just write down Romans 8 in general, but particularly verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? This is the, Paul, uh, uh, earlier Jesus was arguing from lesser to greater. If God cares for the little things, won't he also care for the greater things? Here he's doing the opposite. Paul is arguing from the greater to the lesser. We all have great needs, we all have things that we're concerned about, oftentimes it's right here, but the greatest problem we have is that we are dead in sin, that we are standing condemned before a holy God without hope, without a pathway to reconnect with God. We stand before a God with no argument. God saw our greatest need and he gave up his greatest treasure, his own son. He did not spare his own son. He didn't say, that's a great need, but my son's too precious. He gave up his greatest treasure to solve your greatest problem. Why would he now refuse to to give to solve your lesser problems? He has provided for your inheritance. God has given you an eternal inheritance. You have a home in glory. Why would God leave you homeless here on earth? God has been preparing, Jesus has been preparing a great feast for you and all the saints for, of all time to gather together in one giant banquet, which we're going to kind of celebrate ahead of time right now, but pretty soon here. He is preparing a great feast for you in glory. Is he going to leave nothing but crumbs on your table here and now? God has so worked to move heaven and earth to clothe you in robes of righteousness. Is he going to leave your closet bare God knows your needs. Do you trust God that God loves you enough to provide for your basic needs? You, as many of you are parents, you know how to take care of your kids. Well, we're learning, at least, at least to some degree. Right? You know how to get your kids ready for school if they're school age. You don't send them to school in a burlap sack. Right? But you clothe them. You find a way to get them lunch, whether that's packing or, or paying for it or whatever it might be. You ensure safe travel to and from school, whether that's arranging transportation on the bus or driving them yourself if they go to school like that. You, you wake them up in time. Either you, you have them set an alarm or you yourself set an alarm to wake them up and tell them it's time to get ready. Your kids don't worry about what they're going to eat or probably what they're going to wear or, or if they're going to wake up in time or how they're going to get to school because they know that you're worrying about that, right? Right? especially when they're young. They're not staying up at night worrying about those things because they know that you are. And if you know how to take care of your kids on such a minor thing as that, do you think God knows how to take care of you? He knows that you need gas in your tank. God knows that there's inflation right now. Right? He knows that interest rates are going up. He knows that your mortgage rates have gone up. He knows that your grocery bill is higher than what you budgeted for. He knows and he knew that there was going to be a children's medicine shortage, including antibiotics. He knows that the oil in your tank in your house that is, just is there to, to heat your home during the winter is getting awfully low. Do you trust that God knows all this, that he cares for you, that he loves you, and that it is no big deal for him to provide for you? Why would he who did not spare his own son feel like it is a bother to care for you in these minor things? Martin Luther said it best, and I will quote this as often as I can pray and let God worry. And now we have the fifth reason we come to in verse 32. We have, we've, of these of the, of the four that preceded it, they've all been kind of building on one another. Jesus is helping us think through reasons why we don't need to worry, that, that we, there are more important concerns. there's more to life. God wants our heart, He wants our attention. He doesn't want us to focus on money, whether it's too much or too little. He doesn't want us to worry about it. that, that anxiety doesn't ever fix anything, that God cares for even the lowest part of his creation. He's certainly going to care for us. He sees you, He knows your needs. But this fifth one is, I think, the sweetest. Everything else Jesus seems to say is leading up to this in verse 32. Jesus simply says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I remember when I uh, was reading this uh, years ago, and I felt like, okay, if you're, if you're struggling with anxiety, Matt, you've got, you got, you got to look to this teaching this is like one of the main places Jesus talks. It's also in Matthew's gospel, but this verse right here is specific to Luke's gospel. And I remember, like it's all leading up to this. And I can even tell, just studying the scripture, like this is the answer. This is his. And, and I remember looking at, it going, "Huh? So, so, so that's the answer." And I and remember I was—I don't want to say I was like discouraged by it, but I was like, "How is this supposed to fix that I want to throw up right now? How is this supposed to calm me of all my worries and fears?" I needed something to sink my teeth into, some, some shelter, some truth that I could, like, repeat to myself. And, and at first, I, I, I honestly just wasn't what I expected. Praise God, I was able to meditate on it a bit more. And, and God was showing me, oh, man, how sufficient this, this truth is. Just before this, Jesus saying that he says, hey, I know you seek after the things of this world. I know that you have needs because I'm going to tell you instead of seeking after those things, please seek after the kingdom of God and all these things are going to be provided for you. Here's the point of this promise right here. Freedom from anxiety in the kingdom of this world comes from resting in the hope of the glory of the kingdom of heaven to come. If we want to be free from anxiety in this world, in this life, and the kingdom of this world, then we need to look to the next kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Because really there are, the Bible talks about how there are like two kingdoms, right, that we're, we're, we're part of. We're part of the kingdom of this world, right, where there is good, it's, it's a good world in many ways, but it's a fallen world, it's a cursed world, it's a world where things don't actually behave as they ought to, but there's another kingdom. Jesus came announcing the kingdom of God, the kingdom where everything goes according to plan, a kingdom of righteousness, the kingdom that will last forever, the kingdom that Jesus offers people to come into and to live in forever. And, and you can just lay these side by side to see how they're a little bit different. While we're here on Earth, necessary goods are scarce. I just mentioned, like the children's medical shortage, right? Uh, medical, you know, just trying to find children's Advil or Tylenols. Kind of difficult right now. There's shortages. Things run out or things break or things expire or otherwise fail us. Just as soon as one thing, we get something new, something else breaks or falls apart. In the kingdom of heaven, there's no lack of anything ever anywhere. In this life, sometimes evil wins. Sometimes justice goes undone. Sometimes the bad guy gets away. Sometimes unrighteousness and foolishness seems to rule the day. And all we can do is throw up our hands and hope for better days. But in in heaven's kingdom, evil is defeated and can never say a word. Satan has to ask permission to come before God's throne. And then he has to sit down and shut up. Here you often fear bad news. Which, by the way, I think that is a good summary of what anxiety is. It's the fear of getting bad news. It's waiting for the phone to ring. It's waiting to hear that that call we don't want to hear. It's fear of of hearing from the bank. It's when you get blood work done and you're waiting for lab results and you're like, I don't know if this is going to be good or not. It's when your employer says, hey, we need to have a meeting uh, Wednesday at 6 o'clock or 4 o'clock, whatever, and you're like, It's when your professor, when your your loved ones, when someone is is going to tell you something you don't want to hear, Right? In the kingdom of Christ, bad news is abolished forever. That's why the gospel is called the good news, and it rules the day. In this world, you will lose everything. Like nothing is permanent. If you're married, either you or your spouse, one of you is going to die first. You will lose your beauty, you will lose your strength. Your body will fail. You'll lose your memory over time. We lose everything. This world will strip everything of us. But in glory, God will raise us up with indestructible bodies, giving us an internal inheritance where everything is forever. I love it. Jesus says, don't store up treasures on earth where moth destroy, where it collects dust and rust, where thieves can break up and steal, but store up your treasures in heaven where there's no thief, there's no rust, there's no moth. Everything is new and fresh and glorious forever. In this world, we are weak, we're fragile, we're subject to various afflictions, diseases, persecutions, hardships, wars, famines, storms, death, all of it. Life is dangerous here. In the kingdom of God, all these things are wiped away forever. you have no fear of any of them. No injury, no loss, no hardship, no want of any kind. It isn't just the lack of bad things, though. Heaven's not just freedom from bad things, but all the good and glorious gifts. We, we get tastes of God's goodness here on earth. I think that's about it. And I, and I say, look, there's lots of good things. I think we see a beautiful sunset, and that's just a, a hint. That's a sample. That's a taste of all of God's goodness. But even all the wonderful things that we experience are still tainted by the curse. Are still like they don't last as long as they ought to. Right? We enjoy like a, an, an amazing meal, but then we get indigestion, right? Or we have all these wonderful experiences, but they they don't quite pan out. But man, God is just waiting with all of his glorious gifts and treasures. The things that he's hidden and withheld from every previous generation. Things that he is longing to pour out on his glorious saints when they enter their inheritance. I think if we saw the glories of heaven, if we saw the kingdom of heaven in all of its glory, if we saw just a glimpse of our inheritance, then there is nothing in this world. We'd be like, I, I think I want this more. We'd be like, nope, take it all. You can have it. these trinkets, these toys, these worthless things. I don't need any of them. There's a wonderful hymn by Fanny Crosby where it's it's called Take the World, But Give Me Jesus. (laughs) Oh man, if we had a vision for Christ, the things of this world, they wouldn't delight us as much as they do, neither would we be afraid of losing them as as, as much as we are. We would not even love our own lives as much. The things of this world aren't worrying about and they aren't worth building your life upon either. They're sand, They're dust. The kingdom of this world gives us every reason to worry. It's uncertainty, right? It's a dangerous place. Its treasures come, come and go easily. The kingdom of God is wonderfully good, marvelously good, infinitely good. And that's all fine, right? It's, it's fine to say like, hey, this world, it's difficult and you're here and you're in the middle of it. And there's this other place, this other realm where it's all good all the time, okay? But I'm here, <laughs> Right? That's the hard thing. And that's, but keep in mind what Jesus says here. He says, It is your Father's good pleasure to give you that kingdom. God is excited. All of your problems are solved here, and God has and will give it to you. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This gives us some perspective. Christian, all bad news is temporary. When you go to the doctor and they tell you that it's terminal, it's temporary. When you're evicted, it's temporary. All the things that, that are all the causes of fear, all the worry that's tied to this world, this life, all, all the, your fear, your anxieties, your worries, they will stay here and they will not leave this earth. But you will. Your future is secure. Your future is glorious. If you're focused just here and now, if you're focused on the things that are right here, then you will easily, more easily, be crippled with anxiety. But if you look to heaven, as Isaac Pickney's tattoo says, keep looking up, or something to that effect. Right? If you set your treasure there, if you seek first the kingdom of God, doesn't mean that you'll never, because we are still in a sin world, doesn't mean you'll never, ever be afraid, but man, your faith will be rewarded and you will experience a greater peace. I love what Paul says once again in Romans 8, mark it down, Romans eight eighteen. I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy of being compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. It's not even worth comparing to. I think the things that we worry about, we might even laugh about when we're in glory. It puts focus on things for us. Jesus doesn't just say, don't worry. He knows that's not enough. Because we, we can't stop fixating them. We, we still do have those needs. I'm not ignoring those things. Jesus isn't ignoring you have real needs. Remember, Jesus sees those, okay? Jesus says, hey, you focus on my kingdom. I'll take care of your needs. When, when, when a soldier joins the military, his duty, her duty is to obey the commands from their commanding officer. That's the focus. He isn't, they don't, they don't, you don't join the military. They say, okay, that's great. You're going to have to provide your own gun and ammunition. You know what? You're going to have to like, cook and provide your own meal, go to the grocery store. You're going to have to find a place to live. You know, you're going to have to find... Cl- the military provides those things for you. One way or another, provides those things. You're provided with your tools and weapons and training and lodging and food and a uniform because otherwise it would lay an unnecessary burden on the soldier, and they wouldn't be able to focus on their mission. So the military says, we will take care of those things so you can focus on the things we're telling you to do. It's not that different from what God is saying. Seek first the kingdom of God, my priorities, the things that I'm calling you to do. Seek my kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. I'll take care of them. See God's priorities. He'll provide the necessities. This gives us hope. No matter what befalls you here on this earth, even if God chooses to allow your life here to be difficult, which with some of you he has, and with some of you he will. For some of you, it is God's sovereign will that he has given you a difficult path in this life. And even if your health fails, even if you never make a lot of money to feel like you can more than eke by, even if you don't land the job you'd like, even if you're single, when you'd rather be married, even if you lose all things, Christ is yours, and in Him you have everything. You will never die. You will only sleep. You will, never be, you will not be poor forever. You just haven't received your inheritance yet. Rich is beyond measure. You will not be lonely for long, for soon you will join with your forever family. All your sorrows will turn to songs. All your sins, so weighty and shameful now, covered by the blood of Christ, will only serve to glorify Christ for his mighty forgiveness and glory. All of your enemies here on earth, they're either going to become your your brothers and sisters in Christ by the same grace that saved you, or they will be put under the foot of Jesus Christ who will not deal kindly with those who have offended his children. So what do you have to worry about? Though you lose everything in the next few decades of life, in the sin-stained world, you will be given all things in the world to come because it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And you may say, man, I'm pretty blessed right now. It could get much better. Jesus saves the best wine for last. He has things that he just can't wait to share. And this is the last point here. That, that, that Jesus, that this, this, this truth gives us not just freedom from anxiety, it actually allows us to have joy. Don't miss out on that phrase. It doesn't say, oh, do not fear little children because God will give you the kingdom. No, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Parents, we just had Christmas, right? How many of you got like, oh, this gift they're gonna enjoy? Did I tell you I bought like a year ago, I bought my son a BB gun? It might have been stupid, right? But it's what I did. Um, and I was excited about it, right? And I was like, oh, it's, and so like, what do we do? We say, we wrap it, we kind of hide it, we kind of arrange things so it's the last gift that they open. You do do the small gifts first during Christmas, I would say, if you do it right. That's my opinion. And you save the biggest, most expensive gifts that you know they're going to love to the very end. And this gift I even like put aside so it's like everybody else had like five presents and Jack had four. And he he knew it. He's like, oh, because they count. They know. I don't, I don't have enough. They all have five. I only have four, and I let him sit in it, too. I'm like, oh, what's that behind the TV there, Jack? Oh, I think there's something back there. And he goes, and he gets it and wraps it, and then he promptly went out and shot things. And he was excited about it, right? Because you, I was like, as a dad, I wanna, I, I, I'm delighted to bless my kids, and I want to save the best for last. Man, maybe God has blessed you abundantly in this life. The best is still to come. So what are you afraid of? All bad news is temporary. It's not all the suffering, and there is real suffering that you may encounter or are encountering. It's it's stuck in this world, and it will not join the next. And God is with you through it all. Judge Jesus' answer to your anxieties, your fear of the bad news, is to lean into and trust and celebrate and meditate on the good news. (laughs) The message of the kingdom, that's God's answer, the good news of the kingdom. Spend more time listening to, meditating on, and resting in the good news of Jesus Christ. And when you find yourself worried, anxious, drifting into despair or hopelessness or being frustrated, ready to give up, recall these words, fear not, my child, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom.